Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Granny will be here in a second, buddy. Go ahead and sit down. Good job. <laughs> hey, Granny's back there. You want to go see her? <clears throat> All right. Uh, we are... I'm going to do everything in my power to finish tonight, okay? <clears throat> Yeah, nobody. Yeah, nobody talk. Okay, um, page page uh, two eight six in our in our book. Uh, we only have let's see uh, one two three three full. So basically three pages to go. I think we should be able to do it. Can we do it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, let's let's go ahead. Um, uh, we left off here. Uh, uh, continue mentoring others, um, and this is really important. Uh, and I, I, one of the reasons I, I like this book is because of the emphasis on mentoring that the author does here. Um, uh, let's go ahead and read. Uh, discipleship does not end with one disciple. Uh, it is <clears throat> the process of multiplying disciples. One good way to think of this is the difference between addition and multiplication. When you share the gospel with one person and they just, uh, excuse me, and they trust Christ as their Savior, that is addition. Someone else has been added to the family of God. And, and, and let me say this, praise God for that. Amen? Okay, but that's, that's addition. But he goes on. He says, but when... You then take a new Christian under your wings and teach them how to follow the Lord as a disciple them uh, themselves and to share their faith with others. That is multiplication. So, so if, if all we do is go out and tell people about Jesus Christ and tell them, say, hey, pray this prayer and you'll be saved, and then we leave them alone, that is not doing what God has called us to do. <clears throat> that is addition. That's not multiplication. And I, I think I mentioned this <clears throat> before, but I, I read a I read an article back probably ten or so years ago, and one of the one of the interesting things in this article, and I'm going to have to paraphrase it because I did not keep the article, which I wish I had. But the gist of the, the article was this, that churches nowadays, particularly these big mega churches, have dropped the ball when it comes to discipleship. They have, they, they have, they have gone out, they've reached people, and they, they bring them into the church, but they never encourage them to go out and get more people. And subsequently, what the author of this article said was something to the effect of that <clears throat> some of these mega churches are full of baby Christians that have never grown. And that something needs to happen within Christianity. And this, and this was written 10 years ago. And trust me, it's not gotten any better. Because people have gotten saved, but they have not been trained to do what God has called us to do. He goes on. <clears throat> this, this is the full 
great commission Jesus gave to the church, <clears throat> not just to lead people to salvation, but to follow through in leading them to Christ in baptism and being added to the church and in becoming a personal disciple. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We, we can more than likely, most of us can, can quote these, these verses. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things <clears throat> whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. So again, discipleship includes not just witnessing. It is, it, is, it is once a person is saved, taking that individual and teaching them the things of God, the things that we have, it's taken us over a year, close to a year, over a year and a half to go through this book. But it's the things <clears throat> that we have been learning all along <clears throat> that we need to do so that we can grow in our walk with the Lord. Because if we get saved and never grow, that is a tragedy. Tragedy, that thing. <clears throat> he goes on. We see the progression from addition to multiplication in the book of Acts. <clears throat> First people were added to the church in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Uh, then they <clears throat> that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto the uh, uh, un added unto them about three thousand souls. So there's the addition. <clears throat> Acts chapter two verse forty-seven, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to the church daily as should be saved. Acts chapter five. In verse 14, and the believers, which, uh, excuse me, and believers uh, were the more added to the Lord, mu multiplied both of men and women. Then, as these new believers be became grounded in God's word through the instruction of the local church, they multiplied. Acts chapter 6, verse 1, and in those days, when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the Grecians against the, the, the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Now, oftentimes, we look at this, this uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 1 because what happens just shortly after this? Okay, is the first deacons. Okay, so when we go to to Acts chapter six, the the church was was exploding because God had added to the church, but now it was starting to multiply. And instead of people just getting saved, they they were being saved, but then they were growing, and they were they were then going out and reaching people, and they were going out and reaching, and the church was absolutely exploding. Why, why did the church in Acts need deacons? Serve. 
to serve. Okay, what had what had taken place up to Acts chapter six? Uh, wow, that where did that come from? Brian's sitting behind you. I'm sorry, John. Okay. Right. So my question is, who then was doing the bulk of the work? Okay, the, the, the leadership. Okay. So so because the church was multiplying and it was it was growing like wildfire, the the church leadership were sacrificing their prayer and study time to keep up with the growth and they they said, Hey, we can't keep doing this. So that's why they got deacons to take care of the things so that they could then back off and they could spend time in prayer and, and time in the word. <clears throat> so understand it was the multiplication of the of the people that caused this. Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of priests were obedient to the faith. Acts chapter 9, verse 31, And then, uh, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galatia, and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, were multiplied. Again, multiplication over and over and over. How does that multiplication happen? Discipleship. Okay? Uh, when we get saved, start to grow, then we then go out and share the gospel so that other people can get saved and then they can start to grow. And the process here is that we never forget discipleship. We can't forget discipleship. Because if, you know, we have friends in South Africa. I, I don't know what city they're in. But they have uh, just installed uh, huh? Nizna, South Africa. Apparently, my understanding is on the coast somewhere. <clears throat> okay, on, on the Indian Ocean. So what they have, it, and, and they had it installed on, in the side of their, their church building, is a... ATM, if you would, for for babies. And apparently, I, I, it is beyond my imagination, but in South Africa, hundreds of babies are left on the street every day. And what this what this is <clears throat> is literally a door that they open. And they can place the baby inside. And as soon as the weight of the baby is felt, there's a sensor in there of some sort. Uh, and they close it, the, it locks. And then they can retrieve the baby from the backside. And they have, I think, five minutes 
they have to respond or some 15 minutes or something. <clears throat> now, what happens to those babies that are not rescued? Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of babies in South Africa. What happens to them? They die. It's, it's, it's as simple as that. It's sad, as sad as it sounds. It's, it's that simple. They, they cannot survive. Let me ask you a question. What happens spiritually to a person that gets saved, that gets saved and is never grounded in the Word of God? They die spiritually. Now, do they lose their salvation? No, absolutely not. They're still saved. But they can never experience the joy of the Lord. The blessings of God in their lives. That's a, that, that's a horrible thing. And one of the things that we have done since we've been here at Grace Baptist Church these 13 years is we have tried as often as we can when somebody gets saved, we do our best to try and disciple them. Sometimes they say, hey, look, I, I, I'm really not interested. You know what? That's, that's between them and God. But we do our best. And we have spent literally hundreds and hundreds of hours working with people, going through before this book, other books, just trying our best to teach them the things of God. Let me see if I can say this right. Not so much that we fulfill Matthew chapter 28, even though that is a command, but our desire is to see them experience the full blessings of God in their lives. And the only way that can happen is when they learn to grow in the Word of God. <clears throat> He's, he, the next sentence says, how can you be part of this process of multiplication? <clears throat> So before I give you the next blank, uh, is there any questions or statements that anybody has before we move on? You got time. You got time. We we we're we're going to finish tonight, okay? Unless somebody does something really stupid. <laughs> well, this is true. <laughs> yeah. Any 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 questions before we move on? Because I just I you know we just said a lot. Anybody? Okay, let's continue. <clears throat> Anybody know what this next blank is? Example. example. Lead by your example. Boy, that's that's tough. That's good or bad. That's right. <clears throat> Anyway, let's let's go on. <clears throat> if you're going to help young Christians develop a personal walk with God and a commitment to Him, 
it is vital that you have a strong Christian testimony. Uh, hopefully you're in 2 Timothy. Uh, let's look at chapter 3 and verses 10 and 11. Well, before before we do this, uh, who who wants to look up 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? Okay, Brian. Second uh, Timothy two two. John, and then Melanie, can you do Ephesians five one? Okay. So let's go ahead and read Second Timothy chapter three, uh, in verses ten and eleven. It says, "But thou, uh, but thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long suffering, charity, patience, persecution, afflictions." <clears throat> which came unto me at Antioch and uh, Iconium uh, at Lystra with uh, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. So what is he saying here? I mean, this is a list of some pretty pretty hard things, is it not? But, but what is, in a literal sense, what is Paul tell, telling the young preacher boy? Okay, I came through it all. Okay, the Lord brought me through it all. But there's there's something else here because we're we're talking about leading by example. Okay. What does he say in verse ten? He says, "But thou hast fully known." My doctrine, I have led by example. I taught you right doctrine. And you personally saw these things in my life. You saw me go through these things. And he said, and God got me through it. And so not only did you see me go through all these things, but you saw God get me through it. And there is a lot to be said for a young believer seeing God do really special things in the lives of mature believers. <clears throat> I, when we first started the church, some of, I don't know, Rick was here. I think Rick, just looking around, Rick was probably the only one. Um, <clears throat> a year after we started the church, our, our van that we had at the time, it died. Oh, you were here. Okay, I didn't. Okay, I didn't. I couldn't remember if you were here or not. Okay, so so about a year into the church, uh, the, the the van died, and um, one of the things that was exciting for our young church to see, because the church was so young, uh, financially, the church could do nothing to help us get a new van. But it was exciting for a young church to see God provide a van for us. In two weeks, twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, in in two weeks, twenty thousand dollars came in, and uh, yeah, unsolicited. We didn't we didn't ask. God just did it. And for a, a, a young church full of young Christians, it was exciting to see how. We handled the situation. We didn't panic. We didn't go into, you know, we just we just said, okay, God, we need you to do something. And God did. 
And sometimes, sometimes, and I'm going to be careful here, sometimes if you are a mentor to a young Christian, sometimes God will bring you through a difficult situation so that that Christian, that young believer, can see how you handle it. We need to be we need to be so careful, so careful. Uh, <clears throat> a preacher of yesteryear, H. Uh, a. Ironside, wisely said, "If lips and life do not agree, the testimony will not amount to much." And and I agree with that. If you don't walk the walk, if you no. Yeah, you gotta you, you gotta walk the walk anyway. Whatever. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, people are watching us. People are watching us, and and I, I don't I don't care who you are. Uh, you have unsaved people watching you. Some some of these people are unsaved. Some of them are neighbors. Some are your children. You know, you have un, unsafe people watching you, co-workers and so on and so forth, and they want to see how you're going to handle certain situations. And if your walk doesn't match your talk, then chances are they're not going to <clears throat> respond when God comes a-knocking on their heart. Next paragraph here. Uh, do unbelievers around you know that you are a Christian? Whoa, what a question. What a question. You know, years ago, they, I can tell this story because nobody would have a, any clue who this was because it was so many years ago. But several years ago, there was a, some folks that used to come to our church and, and um, uh, I, I met someone out in the community that worked at the same place as, as he did, and I just said, "Oh, hey, um, do you do you happen to know so and so?" Uh, and <clears throat> and they said, "Oh, yeah, yeah, I see him all the time, and you know, blah 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 blah." I said, "Oh, okay. Well, he goes to my church." Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't know he was a Christian. There's a reason he doesn't come here anymore. Not no, not because I said yeah, not because I said anything, but 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 the, the the reality was he had he had no interest in in living right, and that's a sad that is a sad commentary. I never want I you know when I when I was still working in the secular world everybody I worked with knew I was a believer in Jesus Christ. And if they didn't like it that was their problem. But everybody knew where I was. <clears throat> Do unbelievers around you know that you're a Christian? Does your lifestyle show a commitment to Christ? Would following your example lead a young Christian closer to the Lord? Wow, these are some tough questions. Uh, 
Who's got 1 Corinthians 11.1? 1? Brian? Okay, I love this verse. Is Paul is Paul telling them, hey, do what I do? Kinda. But it's it it's a, there's a qualifier here. What is the qualifier? As I am following Christ, follow me. Now, in, in a very simplistic way, what is Paul saying here? Paul's saying, hey, as long as I am following Christ, follow me. But there's an understood principle here. If I stop following Christ, stop following me. You keep following Christ. That is the principle being taught here. My question is, and I ask myself often, do the people around me want my Jesus? Is my Jesus making a difference in my life? I hope he's making a difference in yours. So lead by example. And then this next one is is even harder. Invest personally. Invest personally. What, What... This statement in itself implies a lot of stuff. What does that? What does this statement imply? Okay, time, finances, sacrifice, thoughts. Okay. What? What is? What is the biggest? problem that we can encounter when we invest our lives personally you're gonna get hurt because in order for us to invest personally we have to what open our hearts and I can promise you when you open your heart to help someone not everybody is going to be gracious and kind. And we talked we talked a little bit about that this morning. But if we are going to be disciples of Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to open our hearts and invest personally. Not just our time and our money, but our hearts. And the tendency is, when you've been taken advantage of a couple times, is to close your heart and say, you know what, I'm never going to do that again. That's the tendency. But Christ said, pick up your cross daily and follow me. Daily. Next paragraph. Mentoring. Uh, among Christians in discipleship is an investment. It is a commitment to love, pray for, and lead another Christian in in spiritual growth. It is a willingness to take the truths you've been given 
and pass them on to others, teaching them to do the same. And the process continues. Who's got Second Timothy chapter 2? Okay. Yeah. Amen. <clears throat> this process uh, is the Bible pattern and it is the goal of discipleship ministry at our church. And the author of this is obviously referring to his church, but let me say that it is the, it is <laughs> the goal of our church as well. We, we want to make disciples. That's why we have spent so much time going through this book. Remember, above all, to continue following the Lord personally and sincerely. This will bring blessing in your life and will enable you to continue investing in lives of others. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1. Be therefore followers of God as dear children. There you go. Now, now that we are done, Okay, <laughs> and we still have a few minutes to go. Um, now that we're done, let me ask you a question. And and I want you to think about this. Why did we just spend a year and a half going through this book? Okay, it's important, but why? To learn. That's part of it, yes. No, it's not a trick question, I promise. <laughs> no, no, it really isn't. It's, it, 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 it is, to me, it's a pretty simple. Okay, to give a strong foundation is a absolutely part of it. Why else? For us individually and for us as a church together as a whole. Okay. Okay. You guys are right, right on the edge. Yes, so that you go out and do it. Okay. You know, honestly, for 13 years, for the most part, not not always. But for the most part, my wife and I have tried to disciple every believer that's gotten saved here. We've tried. But the reality is we can't do it all. And the goal, part of the goal, was to give everybody a foundation so that, so that we could then corporately have the manpower, if it, if you, if it were, for us to follow through. You know, we have people in Fallon now that, that have gone through this, this training. We have people here in Fernley. You know, if somebody gets saved in Fallon, you know what, I, could, I can call one of you and say, hey, look, can you disciple them now? Just don't take a year and a half to do it. <laughs> Yeah, well, I stretched it. I stretched it out and added a lot of stuff as we went. <clears throat> yes. So, 
Any questions before I have make my closing statements, which I have some closing statements? Statements, questions, comments? <laughs> well, buckle up. Here we go. No, I, I just... <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Hey, Chris, it's verse 1. And then we'll be in 13 through 16. Okay. Galatians chapter 5 in verse 1. It says, Stand, <clears throat> uh, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty with which Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So Galatians chapter 5 Paul is talking about what subject? No. He's talking about the law, the, 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 the new believers that were getting caught up in the, the, the Judaizers. They were trying to make them, the Judaizers were trying to make them follow the law, and they went under the law. Okay. It's the fifth or sixth word in the sentence. Liberty. He's talking about Christian liberty. What what is Christian liberty? Brian? Okay, God has given us the the ability to choose whether we are going to serve him or, or not. God's given us that. It is called we call it Christian liberty. You know, we live in a free country. And we have, we have a lot of liberty. And, and so we understand this word Christian liberty. So he's talking about Christian liberty. Let's move on to verses 13 to 16. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So let me stop right here and ask me, what is that verse saying? In a, in a practical sense, 21st century America, what is that verse saying? John? Okay. Anybody else want to add to that? Yeah, not necessarily. It it could be, but that's not. That's really, I don't think the the heartbeat of what Paul's trying to teach us there. What it what it, again? Going back to the Christian liberty. Okay. All right. Let, let's let's read this verse again. Verse thirteen. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty as an occasion of the flesh, but by love serve one another. What Paul's trying to say is, I believe what Paul's trying to tell us here is, look, if my Christian liberty gets in the way of someone getting saved or somebody getting hurt, forget your liberty, 
and do what Christ would do. Okay? Just because we have the liberty to do it doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. Let, let, let me put it to you this way. Our state has legalized marijuana. It still doesn't make it right to smoke marijuana. Just because it's legal doesn't mean it's right. Next verse. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So what is the one word? Love. Verse 15. But if ye bite and devour one another, in other words, if you don't live, verse 13, and you bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one, one of another. This I say then. So what is he saying? After those three verses, he's saying, hey, listen to what I'm gonna, getting ready to say. This I say then. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. If we will walk in the Spirit, our Christian liberty is a non-issue. And if we are going to be disciples, it is going to be because we put Christ first in our lives, not ourselves. I want to draw your attention to one word in verse 16. That is the word walk. The word walk. The word walk here is an interesting word. Paul, Paul tells us to walk in the Spirit, but he doesn't, on the surface, he doesn't tell us how to walk. Right? He just says, walk in the Spirit. So the question becomes, how do we walk in the Spirit? Why? I didn't hear you, Rick. Oh, okay. That's dangerous, man. <laughs> okay. Okay. The, the, the Greek word that we get the English word walk here is the Greek word is the is the Greek word peripateo. A, not a pair of potatoes. Okay, that's that's not it. Peripateo. Okay? Not it's not two potatoes, okay? <clears throat> peripateo. And Understanding this word peripateo, I think, encapsulates the concept of discipleship. Because, well, in Luke, can you go to, um, Chris, can you pull up Luke chapter 6, verse 40? I should have given you these ahead of time and I forgot. Sorry. <clears throat> Okay, this is an important verse here. If you, under, if, you, if you want to understand what Paul's trying to tell the believers in Galatia, he's telling them, 
to walk in the Spirit. This is key to understanding what the word peripateo means. The disciple is not above his master, but everyone that is perfect shall be as his master. What does the word perfect mean? Complete or mature. So what is the context of verse 40? We, would, we have a word in our vocabulary today that would describe this verse. An apprentice. Okay? So, what does an apprentice do? Okay? We, we don't really have apprentices today. But back in the 17, 1800s, um, well, it, well, from biblical times, apprenticeship was how young men and women learn trades. If a, um, if a person wanted to become a silversmith or a blacksmith or a, a carpenter or whatever trade, what would they do? Okay? They, they would literally, as young men and women, they would go to a master carpenter or blacksmith or silversmith, whatever, and they would, they would literally enslave themselves to them for a period of time with the understanding that the master craftsman would teach them the trade. That is an apprenticeship. So that when the, the, the young person grew and mature and became proficient in this particular trade, then they could then go off and start their own black, blacksmith shop or silversmith or, or carpenter shop or whatever. And then he could then provide for his family. And then he would take an apprentice and teach him what his master taught him. So let's read this verse again. A disciple or a parapateo is not above his master. So can a, a master carpenter teach a apprentice more than he knows? No, you can't do it. You know, Brian works in a trade where apprentices work. How many years do they have to work as an apprentice? Four years as an apprentice before they can become a master electrician. Or journeyman, excuse me. Okay, okay. <clears throat> but if a journeyman or a, a an apprentice comes in and works with an okay electrician, what kind of a electrician is he going to turn out to be? An okay electrician. <laughs> yeah, a dead one, yeah. <laughs> okay? So a disciple is not above his master. He can only learn what his master knows. But everyone that is perfect or has learned as much as he can shall be as his master. Okay, does that make sense? So the word here that Paul uses to walk in the spirit is the word peripateo or apprentice or disciple. So how do we walk in the spirit? By following the master. 
And if I will walk with God, let, let, let me illustrate it to you this way. <clears throat> Aristotle was born in 384 BC. Aristotle had, at the height of his popularity, could have hundreds of followers. They would, everywhere Aristotle went, they would go. Uh, if, if Aristotle stopped and started teaching, they would, they would all sit down and they would listen. And they would, they would be glued to every word that Aristotle said. Everywhere he went. If he, if he went home for lunch, they would go home for lunch. It, you know, everywhere he went, people, his students, followed him. The students of Aristotle were, were called peripatites. So when Paul used the word peripateo in this verse to describe how we are to walk in the Spirit, every single person that heard that word understood exactly what he was saying. The Jews understood it. How, how do you think a young man got to be a rabbi? He had, he, he had to, to peripatite, he had to be a peripatite to another rabbi. What did, what did Jesus tell his 12 apostles? Follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. So, so this idea of peripatites or peripateo was not a foreign idea to the New Testament church. It was, it was completely understood. When, when, when Paul says, walk in the Spirit, be an apprentice of the Holy Spirit. So in my closing statement in, in, in this study is become a peripatite to the Holy Spirit. And how do you do that? Fall in love with this book. And if we will fall in love with this book, God can use this book to change our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. I am so thankful and grateful for all that you do. And I am so grateful that you have given us the answers to life. All we need to do is follow you. Follow you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.